Hey everyone, I'm Chris Hall and you're listening to the Downtime Podcast where we delve deep into the gravity-based side of mountain biking. This week's episode of the show is supported by Hunt Bike Wheels and Crank Brothers. Hunt Bike Wheels are part of the Rider Firm family and strive to go above and beyond when serving riders by applying forward-thinking ideas and the latest technologies to every wheel set, backing it all up with both in-house and elite-level athlete testing with riders like Matt Statar, Jamie Edmondson and Becky Skelton. Their aim is simply to create the best wheels for each type of riding. Hunt Bike Wheels are available through your local bike shop or direct and you can always rely on being able to speak to a person to access the parts, knowledge or servicing that you need in order to perform at the highest level day in day out. Head to huntbikewheels.com to check out what they have to offer. As a downtime listener, Hunt are kindly offering a free Hunt accessory pack worth over £40 with each order until 15th of November. All you need to do is to use the code DOWNTIME all in lowercase over at huntbikewheels.com. This summer into the autumn, I've been having a go at being clipped in for the first time in many, many years. And for this experiment, I've chosen to use the Crank Brothers Mallet DH pedals. The biggest reason for this is that they have an easy release cleat option. But let's face it, they're also the choice of lots of the top pros. So they've got to be good pedals, right? You can hear all about my experience with riding clipped in in the introductions of the last few episodes of the podcast. But for those of you that like an executive summary, here it is. Did you feel the benefits? Yeah, I feel like I had to worry way less about the pedal-to-shoe interface and I could really attack that rough, fast terrain. Through a lot of the riding I did, I didn't even think about the interface at all and that's got to be a good thing. Were there any downsides? Well, at this point in time, yes. Learning to ride clipped in is clearly something that takes time and practice. I've not yet got to the point where I can ride slippery terrain or terrain where I might feel the need to dab a foot with full confidence. This is because I'm not yet able to clip out super quickly and without it being a really conscious effort. I have no doubt that this will improve with time. Will you continue to ride clipped in? Well, I'm going to be doing a bit of both, depending on what I'm riding and what the conditions are like. Hopefully when things start to dry out in the spring, I'll be able to get to a point where I'm confident on the pedals and can really reap the benefits that they offer. If you're interested in getting clipped in, then Crank Brothers are going to give three lucky listeners a pair of clipping pedals of their choice, along with a new M20 multi-tool to install them with. All you need to do to enter is to head to downtimepodcast.com forward slash Crank Brothers and fill in your details there. You've got until the end of October to get it done. Also, don't forget to check out their entire range of products over at crankbrothers.com. Don't forget to make sure you subscribe to the podcast. It's free and it means you'll get every episode as soon as it's available. Super easy to do. There's buttons for all the major platforms over on downtimepodcast.com forward slash subscribe. While you're there, you can also join my newsletter for a weekly dose of interesting bike related stuff, competitions, products I've been enjoying using and more. If you want to support the show, then head to downtimepodcast.com forward slash shop and grab yourself a treat. Or you can give the podcast a quick review over on iTunes. It's really easy to do. They're very, very nice things for me to read. And it also helps others find the podcast. All right, it's World Cup post-race time and we've got two races to talk about. So let's not mess about. And without further ado, here's Elliot and Nico. Okay, it's World Cup post-race show time all over again. It feels like only 30 seconds since we last did it, and this time we've got two races to talk about. Um, and we're going to be joined by the awesome Elliot Jackson and Nico Malali as ever. Elliot, how's things with you? Yeah, good. I feel like there was so much to get caught up on. I um, I was struggling and like scrambling through the World Cup stats. And it was actually funny because I went through and I never imagined ever that there would be two races at the same venue. 
And so <laughs> one of them kept overriding the other. So like I ended up putting the results up for qualifying for like the second race and then finals for the first race. And now I'm going to like overwrite them. And it's one of those things where it's the simplest thing on the surface, but like every decision that I made was in, in hopes that there would never be like a double header. So show you how <laughs> like gnarly 2020 is, I guess. Yeah. COVID's even found its way into the internet then and screwed that up. Too. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. And Nico, how about you? I'm guessing you might feel a little bit tired. Yeah. He said it hasn't felt like long since we did the last one. I think it's felt like a very long time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was a busy week. I think, uh, all the riders are feeling it by the end of that, um, five days of riding. Like while I was warming up on the Sunday race, I was like, man, is it only a week ago that I was at world champs? It feels like <laughs> two weeks with everything that, that happened. Yeah. Yeah. So last time we spoke, which was about a week ago, you were quite up for the double header, you know, we're, we're away for a long period of time. We're not actually racing that much. It's kind of nice to get more done. Now you've done one. How do you, how do you feel about double race weekends? Are they a good thing? Well, I think in the current situation, definitely a good thing to get more racing, to get coverage. Um, it makes for a, a series instead of just a one-off race, which is more exciting, um, for us racing and, and people to follow along. But, I think all the riders would agree that under a nor normal circumstance, they would rather not do a, a double header again after, <laughs> after doing it. It, it was like the, fir the first race was fine. And then when we went, when we finished racing and then immediately went up to walk the track, like after your race run, it was like, wow, this is, we're going to do it all over again. <laughs> <laughs> Groundhog day. <laughs> it really felt like Groundhog day for the final two days. It was like, get up, go to the track race like you it was like no practice day or anything like it was like right into race again race again race again so it was it was cool and it was interesting and it was something different like um we always say how guys on the circuit a long time the the downhill stuff can get kind of monotonous because the schedule is always the same um there's a lot of downtime between like each if it's a back-to-back -back race or just uh the amount of time you're at a venue takes a long time to do a race uh, compared to other sports you know we gotta be like it almost is a full week commitment to race a world cup um under normal circumstance so this week to be able to get two in was cool and interesting but um i don't, I don't know after after doing it it was like a lot of people were tired on sunday it was it was pretty tough to to do even i mean it it's not a lot. It's a three minute race, but, um, just like each day compounding on itself, uh, it, it felt like it by the time you got to the end. Yeah, I bet. Elliot, what about you from a fan's perspective? How did you find the, the two race format? I was kind of loving it. <laughs> I, um, I mean, I think it was kind of nice for me because I, I watched one of them the first week and then took a couple days off, uh, that the racers didn't get. And then I watched the next one, like a couple days later. Um, so, you know, it was really cool. Like I think Nico kind of hit it on the head where I definitely did feel like when I was racing, I definitely did feel that like you go to the track, it's kind of the same 
thing a lot of the time, same venues, same lines, things like that. Um, there's always this thing, uh, too, where I used to never do warm up races because I always felt like if I peaked too early, um, it got really gnarly. And we always joked about like, what would it be like to people would test after the world cups? And we always joked about like, what would it be like to go and race a world cup? And then the next day, um, race another world cup on the same track. And you would always be like, Oh my God, I can't imagine because you're at top speed. Like once you go to a world cup and do a world cup finals, like that is your top speed. And then you think about it and, uh, going back up and saying like, okay, I have to go even faster now, like the next day. Um, I, I thought it was just kind of like an interesting, add an extra interesting layer for it. Um, for me, like as a fan, um, definitely wouldn't want that to be a normal thing <laughs> because yeah. I think it's a bit gnarly, but, um, it was super cool to see. Definitely, definitely. So, yeah, Nico, tell us a little bit about the the week. We'll start with practice. So it's Tuesday, I think, that you're going up the track for track walk. And this time you've got two tracks to look at or at least some separate sections. I think, was it four different sections? How yeah. how, did, how did you approach track walk for starters? Yeah, there was there is like four different sections and um, the tracks were pretty close to each other. So you didn't have to go far to see the other one. I, I looked at the second track but I didn't really pay too much attention to it. I was more focused on like, let's just focus on the first race, get through that. And then we'll worry about the second race was kind of my attitude towards it. Um, we, we even like went back up to, to check the second track, um, after the race, like I said, for the first race. So there was time to look at it and then they extended the practice, um, on the Saturday before qualifying. So we could ride it a little more. So it, I didn't really worry too much about the second race. It was more, um, I, I try to manage my energy. I did definitely a lot less practice runs on the Wednesday than I would have done, um, or, or on the Thursday morning and, um, just kind of tried to be super smart with, um, managing energy. I used my GoPro a lot and was watching that after each run to try to pick up more things and, um, I think I can do that on a regular basis, even more like I normally do, but like I had a iPad set up in the pit with like watching GoPros, like just over and over again to try to maximize, um, learning the track and picking up on lines without having to do more runs. Um, uh, I yeah, felt like okay. that was going to help out. Oh, I was going to say, how many runs did you do on Friday or sorry on Saturday um, on Saturday? Yeah, I did three practice runs just to get those new sections where normally I would do maybe like two, um, on, on a day like that. But with those new sections, it was a couple things to try and get the feel for. So, um, yeah, I, I would say that, uh, I just try to manage my energy through the week. And, um, one, one big contributing factor was that, uh, the weather was different every time. Like, uh, it was really dry and fast on Wednesday. So you could push pretty hard. It was just like kind of Maribor last year, like fast and track hadn't gotten really rough yet. Um, so that was like another reason why I didn't really practice as much because it was forecasted a lot of rain for Thursday. So then when it rained 
for the first quali, it was um, it was like raining hard while we were racing. It wasn't actually that slick. Like the grip was good because the dirt was thin. Um, then it stopped for the next morning and it got thick. And that was probably like the hardest condition to race in was the Friday final. Um, then for Saturday, it started to get a little better where it was greasier but faster. And then for the Sunday final, it was pretty dry but had you gotten rough from all the all the races before in the wet like the holes and ruts were super deep so it was um it was like four different conditions on the same track which was pretty cool i think it made it more exciting and interesting along with the slight changes to the track um it, if it had been dry and straightforward the whole time it would have been like you said where you get up the top speed and and now what um, but with those weather changes, it was like a different mindset, a different kind of tactic to each race and different things to learn and lines changing a little bit, um, holes getting deep and you want to get around them, um, stuff like that. So it, it definitely, the weather helped to keep that interesting. Yeah, definitely. With the, on the first practice on the Wednesday, were both tracks open or just the track one options? There was supposed to be both open, but then the, cause it, a couple of merges were a little bit dangerous. So they didn't want people to run into each other. So the riders kind of like asked the UCI that we could close the, the second track. So it ended up being closed. Okay. So yeah, there wasn't an option to try that in the, in the first session then. No. Makes sense. And, and the weather had changed so much anyway, it would have been like, I don't think it would have mattered that much to ride it that first day. Yeah, fair play. Elliot, do you think some riders are <clears throat> kind of more adaptable maybe and better at learning a new track? Do you think there's certain riders that this kind of race format would suit? You would think so. Um, I feel like you have those people that always do good in time training, like uh, Troy and Danny and Bernard. Um, but that didn't really seem to be, that didn't really seem to matter. Um, and I think it's an interesting one because it kind of nips that theory in the bud that time training is about who can get up to speed the quickest. Um, I think it's more about who really shows like, again, like who is really taking it seriously because Mm -hmm. if that were the case that it was just, everyone's trying as hard as they can and they're getting up to speed quickly, then you would see, I think, in these type of races, then those people would excel. Um, and it didn't really seem like that. To me, one of the things that I thought was really interesting is is like watching the people's bike setups on the last day. Like, yeah. I don't know, Nico, for you, but you know, it was rolling pretty fast, it seemed like, in the first final. But then I saw like a lot of riders it looked like the rebound was like a little bit too slow, like especially on Troy's bike where you had these huge holes that you need like really fast rebound for. Um, but then if you ran super fast rebound, there was like all these compressions um, that you would get out of shape on. So I don't know if you did a bunch of bike setup changes on, on um, for the second day or like for finals or if I'm kind of way off on that. I personally didn't really change much. It just felt like there wasn't enough time to properly try it out. And 
by that time we're like pretty beat up and tired anyway. So it's like hard to get a accurate feel. Um, so I kind of just ran with what I was comfortable with. I did, I definitely like the biggest thing was deciding whether to run dry tires or wet tires throughout the week. Like a lot of guys ran tries the whole time, even, even like I'd say for sure the Friday final would have been better on mud tires just cause it was so thick. Um, but that was like the bigger thing was dealing with tires. But, um, looking back on it for sure, I could have gone up a, probably a spring rate, like could have gone 25 pounds up in spring rate on my shock and maybe a BPSI on the fork just to ride higher based on how much faster things were running on Sunday. Um, that's one thing I kind of look back on, but I don't know how much other riders change their bike setup. I'm sure guys like Bernie and that who, um, are super in tune and have the team around them probably did make some changes. I would imagine Joy would have had the, the resources to do that too. But, um, I'm not really sure what the other guys did. Tell, tell us a little bit about the tire choice side of things, Nico, cause you've got like, there's various different options there. I guess there's dry tires, full mud setup, then there's kind of cutting tires or having a mud on the front or the rear and drive and vice versa. How do you, how do you go about kind of making those decisions and, and making sure you're on the right tires for the, for the race runs? Yeah. Like you said, there's a lot of different options and combinations that you can choose. Um, I'd say, and also each, each riders, each brand tire has a different line as well. It has some tires that are more in between. Um, some have more of a wet and a dry tire. Um, but I guess the Thursday when it was first quality and it was raining hard and it was thin, the track was actually running pretty good. Like that day, dry tires, I raced on the mud because it was pouring down rain. The first turn looked super slick, as you could see on the broadcast. And I was like, that's what you could see from warm up. I was like, okay, I'm going to stick with the cut mud. Um, but that day that the dry tire would have actually run really good. Like when the, there wasn't any thick, greasy mud to it, it was just the rain it was raining down so the water it was almost like you followed the stream down the track and it was pretty grippy in there um so in that circumstance the the dry tire wouldn't have clogged up um a mud tire one of the big benefits to it is the knobs are further apart so they shed mud easier and the spacing allows those knobs to dig into soft dirt better so mm-hmm. um a dry tire would potentially clog up more in the mud and not be able to bite in as much, but it'll roll faster in certain sections. And it'll also normally be a little bit more predictable on roots and rocks because you've got more rubber touching the ground or touching those roots and rocks. So, um, it's a bit of a give and take, but, um, normally a dry tire is like an aggressive move to ride in the mud because it's going to be less predictable, but faster. So, it's, um, it's definitely a give and a take there. Um, and then as it, as the mud got thicker, that was kind of more of a condition where the mud tire would excel as far as, especially the clearing, like just not getting clogged up as much with the more open tread spacing. Um, and then as, as things change as well, you can go, like you said, you can put a mud tire in the front, dry tire in the back. Um, a lot of times you see guys do the opposite as well. They'll put a dry tire in the front and a mud tire in the back. Um, uh, that helps a lot with braking. Like a mud tire is going to definitely 
bite in harder when you're when you're rear braking. But this track didn't seem quite steep enough to to really go for a setup like that, in my opinion. Um, I've definitely raced that setup before, and it, it's pretty good because the dry tire on the front then gets better grip on roots and rocks, so your bike's not deflecting as much, which seems more important maybe in the front end. Gives you confidence that the front end's going to stick on some of that stuff. And then, the like I said, the braking in the back. Um, but if it's more soft dirt and where rolling maybe is important in a few sections, I think maybe the rear tire rolling better gives you slightly more of an advantage than the front tire just based Mm -hmm. on your weight distribution um so if it's softer dirt where you want the front end to bite in then maybe the mud tire is going to be better on the front and then a faster rolling tire on the back um and being like i said that there wasn't this track's not super steep so there wasn't that many really important hard braking points um that that might have come into play so yeah, there's, there's a ton of options. And then guys on different brands, like I said, have a few different dry tires. They may have an intermediate tire, um, a dry tire, and another tire in the line, different size tires. A lot of times when the mud is, is really thick, a thinner tire will be nicer too. Um, like you saw some of the guys running wet screams, which is a pretty narrow tire, but it cuts right through the mud when it gets really thick um, compared to a wider tire that Maybe it doesn't cut through the mud as well, but is better on roots and rocks and some of the hard surfaces. Uh, one of those really narrow tires is kind of sketchy to ride on. It's not very compliant, so it feels pretty harsh and stuff when you hit those those harder surfaces. So, um, yeah, there's a lot that goes into it, and and it's like really up to the rider whatever they're comfortable with. Um, sometimes we stress so much as riders, but it's really whatever makes you feel comfortable to push. I don't think that uh, being on the wrong setup is going to slow you down so much, but it's um, it's just giving you that feeling like you have a little more comfort on the bike in a, in a gnarly situation. And what, what's that decision being made on? Is it from experience away from racing that you, you kind of know what the right thing is based on the conditions? Because I'm guessing you're lacking in time to just, you can't keep going out trying different tire combinations in practice. Yeah, I think it's it's also experience in prior races that, that probably is the biggest contributing factor. Um, you know, you can go ride the tire in the mud by yourself at a local track, but how the track cuts in with a hundred of the fastest riders going down it in the rain is a different surface than if you're riding in the mud at a bike park or by yourself. So I'd say just racing mud races in the past and knowing how the track changes and how the rain affects it, depending on how hard it's raining, um, when it stops raining, the time between then and when you ride to know like how that dirt's going to feel by the time you get there is I'd say that experience is, is the most valuable to making those choices. Yeah. So find the oldest, most experienced rider in the pits and copy them then. Yeah. Well, it's funny because um, <laughs> I was warming up at the top and, or right before I was going to warm up on the first day. And Greg was um, had three wheel sets with different tires on each one <laughs> and couldn't make up his mind. But he's normally like that. So that's a good puzzle. Yeah. <laughs> and did you do anything else to the bike for the mud? I noticed on um, on Loris's bike there was some little kind of plastic flaps over his brake calipers to keep the mud out. Do you guys do much else to to weatherproof the bike? 
I know you mentioned last time you had some motor foam bits and pieces on there. Yeah, I, I mean, we just try to keep the mud out of the areas where it could clog up pretty easily with the moto foam. It, like if, if for us, we have like a the shock belly um, where that's like a scoop that could collect a lot of mud. We um, fill that with foam so that way mud can't sit in there as easily and, and pack up. Um, we had some tape over the top of the brake calipers so that it couldn't go down into the brake pads as easily. Um, I'm not sure how much this stuff actually helps. Uh, it's hard to quantify it, but, um, I guess the idea of just trying to keep mud and grit, it's, it's easier on the mechanics as well, you know, working on the bike for so many days in a row in the rain and trying to keep it running smoothly. Like the more mud they can keep out, the, the better the bike's going to run through the course of the weekend without having to just rebuild it completely every day or put just new parts on it all the time. Um, I didn't have any new parts really. Like I just had my bike gone through and maintained and, um, it held up really good for uh, as much riding as we did in such gnarly condition. So yeah, I'd say nothing special other than just trying to keep mud out of a few places so that it didn't, um, get so heavy really. Uh, I was going to ask you how you're getting on with, uh, with having your brother Logan as your mechanic and who's more tired after a, a week of mud racing. <laughs> yeah, it's actually going super well. Um, my mechanic, um, Sam Yates was supposed to come over, but he, um, he's working on getting a U.S. visa. He just got married this summer in the U S and he, the, the process to come over here at this time of year was just really complicated, especially with COVID and everything like that. So, um, he wasn't able to make it. Um, so Logan's helping me. He was supposed to be the mechanic just for Seth, our junior, but, um, he's doing both bikes and he's doing a really good job. I haven't felt like any, any, um, disadvantage, any lack of support, um, having Logan and he's, uh, done it with a smile on his face, which is not something he always does. So <laughs> I'm super grateful. Like uh, a couple of the days when it was raining and muddy and he had to do two, like the start in Maribor is pretty far from the, it's like halfway down the mountain. So you have to ride three minute trail, get to the start, then do the racetrack to the bottom. So he had to ride the trainer bike from the lift down there with wheels on his back, trainer, all backpack full of stuff. Um, in the pouring down rain while it's pretty cold outside <laughs> twice in a row and was like fully saturated from say <laughs> 10 o'clock in the morning until 6 PM, um, while it's cold outside. So it was, it was definitely a bit of a miserable day, but he did an awesome job and I really appreciate his help. Fair play. So do they have to ride the trainer bikes back down then, I guess? Yeah, they ride. So that's normally what, what they would do. Like, at this venue at a normal venue you can just hop right back on the lift so like leo gang last weekend they'll bring um the the trainer and the bike up to the top set it up we spin warm up on it um then they can load it back onto the gondola and take it down whereas here with it being kind of halfway down the mountain they would um ride it from the lift down to the start on a, there's like a fire road or a trail and then they ride it from there back to the bottom seemed to be the easiest way to go. 
which is tough like with all that stuff you know like you have basically one hand holding the trainer bag (laughs) a backpack with wheels on it like you've got a lot of gear and you're riding it's it's not a easy way down (laughs) fair play impressive (laughs) yeah 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 cool elliot i want to talk a little bit about um something that i didn't i hadn't really realized until until this race but there's a, a couple of the women that because they were out a lot of last year with injury they weren't they don't qualify for a practice um can you explain a little bit about that and do you think it's much of a disadvantage for them um i think so well so i guess a and b practice like normally you have um um like the top expert x number of people in the men and women are will go in a practice which goes like after the b practice does <laughs> so you would get up super early i think you used to start at like eight o'clock and then you would go to 10 or something like that and then the a practice would start from like 11 or something 10 15 to um whenever and you'd get a little bit of extra practice and you get time training um and so I always used to, I would always like have a terrible first couple races. And so I would always be in B practice. I was in B practice like so much of the time. And, um, it, sometimes it was really nice because, um, it would be like dry or something like that. Um, and then you would, you know, it rain and then like, you know, it'd start drying up by the time you went or something like that. But a lot of times as well, like you are getting up early, um, there's dew on the ground. So it's the opposite to where it's more wet. Um, you don't get that time training. Um, there's this, we were talking about the track developing and especially when it rains, you would go and then there's like thousands of riders that will have ridden the track, um, in between your last practice run and when you go down the racetrack so like that line that you were taking in practice is totally different you know it could lead off the track there could be a rock in it um it might be pushed pushed outside the tape um you know something might have developed that you hadn't seen before more roots and rocks have come out so i think that there's like definitely more adapting that has to be done when you're in b practice because you just haven't seen the track as much um there was, I, you know, in years previous, you know, all the women were in the same practice and now you have those top, I think it's five, right? Five. Yeah, I think that's right. So I don't know. It's one of those things where it is a disadvantage, but, um, I think mentally if you, if you're not so worried about it, it's not, it's not so bad, right? Like it's, it is for sure a disadvantage, but, um, I don't think it should like make or break your weekend. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. I just, yeah, I'm interested because I think Mir- Miriam was not in a practice and I guess Tani as well. So it's two of the sort of top names that are maybe getting slightly different experience yeah. over the weekend. Well, I think too, like for them, especially, I think it is really different where one of the hardest things about a world cup weekend is, is the limited amount of time. Like you hear Nico talk about like, yeah, I do two runs here and I had to add an extra one. And I think for most of us, 
um, or like most people at home listening to it, you're like, oh, you did an extra practice run. Like that's not that big of a deal, but everything is so uh, precise, right? Like you know exactly when you're going to wake up, you know exactly when you're going to get to the track. Um, and so for the women last year, especially like Tani and, and Miriam, where you, um, you have that schedule and you have all these kind of resources around where you know exactly what you're going to do, when you're going to do it, when you're going to eat, when you're going to go up, like, um, you know, exactly when you're going to go up the lift or like start your warm up in the morning before practice. I think that's more the thing to me that would be different is like throwing off your rhythm for the week. Not that you didn't, you haven't learned the track as well, or maybe haven't adapted or anything like that, especially because on finals day, everyone's in the same practice. Um, but I think that that, cause all the riders are good enough to learn the track in whatever amount of time, right? Like mm-hmm. you can learn the track in four runs and be, be up to good speed. Um, I think the thing that matters more is like the mental side of it and kind of that routine. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Let's talk a bit about that first race then. And, um, Nika, I guess we'll start with you. Tell us a bit about, about your run. So this was, this was a pretty muddy race, this first one. Yeah. The first one, um, it was, it was one that was kind of hard to judge just cause it was, uh, like the rain had stopped from the qualifying day on the morning at like like so it rained through the night and like even as the juniors were racing it was like misting so definitely wasn't drying out at all and then it stopped right about um 10 a.m and we raced at two so it was hard to know like it was almost better in the beginning like the close like the the less time it had to dry the mud was still thin and then it was just getting thicker and thicker and thicker so um it was one of those runs where you kind of had to drop in and feel, get a feel for it. Um, but yeah, the, the first turn was pretty tough. Like you saw on the broadcast, like that thing was like an ice skating rink. <laughs> and then once you got through there, it went into like an older section of trail that was a little better. So, um, my run was, I, I really blew that first grass turn. I didn't crash, but I ran super wide to avoid it. Um, and felt like I like, I was pretty bummed with the start of it, but then after that I rode pretty well. Um, so it was the first 15 seconds was bad. And then the, re- the, the next three minutes was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> how, how do you deal with that then when you know that you've kind of not been as good as you wanted to be in that first few seconds of the track? Does, does that affect you? Yeah, it's tough. And I've worked on it over the years, but, um, you just have to try to let it go and, you know, everybody says to try to ride very presently and, um, you've got the section that you're in right now to worry about. So that's the goal, but it's definitely, it's motivating when you hit something really well and you're like, man, I'm on a good one. And you like, keep that kind of rolling. Um, but when you're making mistake and mistake, it's like, uh, kind of a more frustrating feeling. Um, sometimes like you make a mistake like that and you're like, I'm going to make the time back up which can go either way. Like sometimes you take a little more risk cause you know, you lost some somewhere and it, you can make it back up or go faster. Sometimes you, um, push that a little over the line and can cause more mistakes or a crash in that mindset. So, um, yeah, I try to just let it go and, and continue riding the same as I would. Um, but it's hard to necessarily do that when you're, 
when you're actually in the run. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and, and <clears throat> a few riders definitely suffered the from that from that first right hander. <laughs> it wasn't uh, wasn't the only person just to to, uh, to get that a little bit wrong. But yeah, an interesting set of results, I guess. Good to see Thibaut Deprella backing up his uh, his world champs performance. He had an incredible weekend in general, I think, Elliot. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Just, I had never really seen him ride. Like his riding style is, it's very like different <laughs> than I thought it was going to be. Um, it, it was. Uh, it's like super aggressive and like a lot of movement uh, going on mm-hmm. the bike, and it's. Uh, it's. I don't know. It's. It's cool to see that that um, there is kind of like this. How do you say like a a thing where a lot of junior riders were trying to be relaxed and that like really flowy and things like that and I think it was um, kind of bordering on like not trying hard enough and I think okay. Tebow really it has a different style than like most people out there so that was really cool and I think that it was also good to see him kind of come into his own he's been doing well at the French races um but I know there was like a lot of talk around when he was a junior it was like oh like his times aren't as good as when like Troy or Loic were in in juniors you know he's not getting podium times all the time and blah 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 and now, you know, his first year elite, he's right, right there, you know? So that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, it is cool. And, uh, and, and yeah, a few other kind of riders having a really solid performance. Matt Walker seems to go well here. I think he got fifth last year in Maribor. Um, again, second year out of juniors now. So, and about to become the number one rider for Madison Saracen, I suppose. So fourth place in the first yeah. race for him. He's, uh, He's looking like he's in a good place. It seems like there's like some new blood coming in. You know, you have like, you know, Tebow and Matt Walker. I mean, Matt was riding super well last year, but there was, I was kind of looking at it and you have, you know, Troy um, and Danny and um, a lot of people like that who you would just expect to be right up there that weren't there. And you're like, oh, I wonder what happened. It's like, actually the people who beat him are also really fast. Um, you know, you have Remy Tyrion up there and, and he can ride the mud like no one. Uh, so it was cool to see that shakeup. I downhill, I think has like more variance in the top 20 than any other sport. Uh, and it, and it kind of just goes to show like how hard it is and how impressive it is for, you know, those guys like Loris who, can can do it you know in a back-to-back weeks and week in week out and especially even like troy you know he didn't that first race he didn't have such a good race but he uh well for him but just over time you see how consistent he's been and i think that's one of the things that makes makes those top guys so impressive so it's cool to see that getting mixed up a little bit now as well Definitely, yeah. And uh, Mr. Minar snuck his way back onto the podium as well. Like he's, uh, he doesn't look like he's ready to retire just yet. <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah, that was super. That was awesome, and it was cool to see Luca in um, in sixth as well. Like yeah. I know he's been working working hard. He he started working with um, Jared Kolick, my the trainer that I used to work with. 
So we're super good friends and I've been like talking to Jared. I'm like, how's Luca doing? He's like, oh, I just had him do these, you know, this workout or whatever. He's feeling good. Like I just talked to him. So it's like also gets a little, get to see a little, you know, inside, inside into that, um, into, into being an athlete still. So that's like, that's cool. And that whole process of going the whole year, still trying to train, you know, and I was, that, that was one of the things that, you know, Nico was mentioning that, um, like this back to back week. And it was, I wonder if there is something to be said about like the people who really took it seriously, you know, are the, are the people who have been around, um, did they have less motivation to kind of train and, and put in all of that effort through the entire, you know, quote unquote off season this last mm-hmm. year when we didn't have any races and like the younger kids were still hungry for it. So I wonder if, if that has anything to do with it or if it's just kind of like, you know, we've been through a couple mud races now and there's just a bit of a shakeup. Yeah, true. Hadn't thought about that. Definitely. Well, I mean, and Loris, it's great to see, like he's always been a threat for a long time now and uh, I think spent most of last season injured and and from what I understand he's still got some slightly quirky setup on his bike because of the wrist injury from last season but yeah first place and a pretty convincing win over someone like Remy who's so good in the mud as well at 2.6 seconds is is a fair gap even in those conditions I think yeah I I really couldn't believe how fast people were going in the mud there like having walked the track there last year, the routes are just crazy. Like they're all, and they're like European routes. European routes are like way more slick than anything else. And they're like spider wars. <laughs> California <laughs> routes. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it's like wet PVC pipe. And yeah, I was, I was really impressed. I kind of went back and forth um, right before this, actually kind of seeing what the speed looked like from the first race to the second race. And it just didn't seem like people were going that much slower when it was super wet. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And were you surprised by the result in the, in the women's that Marine putting six seconds into Miriam seven into Tracy. I mean, that's, that's a, that's a big gap. She looked incredibly pinned the whole way. Yeah. I feel like she wanted to get redemption from world champs. Like she had that crazy split there. And I wonder, you know, I wonder if she's going to kind of be the go-to mud rider um, now because, yeah, she was, she kind of had that same margin in, in Leo gang, but then just crashed. So yeah, I watched her run as well. And it was, yeah, she was flying, like, didn't look like it was wet. She was riding super confident, like you know, after the rock, like she came through the rock garden just insanely fast. Um, so I was really, really impressed. I think all the women, like both weekends, and it was really apparent here, like how fast they're going They're I was kind of like looking, I was like, man, like they're really stepping up their game. I feel like, um, where you watch them and it's, it's it's equally impressive you know it's kind of like where i think in years past there has been you know those couple of women who were at the top where you're like wow like you know rachel's flying this weekend or miriam um 
but those were kind of the only people you would watch. And now the whole field has kind of stepped up. It's kind of like the women's and men's cross country now where the women's cross country, like I watch that way more than I'd watch the men's cross country. Um, and I think the women's downhill is getting super exciting as well, where like I'm equally excited to watch the, the women and the men's. Good stuff. Nico, I wanted to ask about mullet bikes. So the top, top four in the men's were are on mullets i think i think greg was the first person on a full 29 do you think on a track like marable where you've got a lot of compressions going on do you think that extra space over the rear wheel is is a real benefit there i don't think maribor would have been the, the best track for a mullet bike it's like i said before it's not a super steep track and i think um the 29er does better where you need to carry more speed and you need to try to be faster and generate speed. And the mullet does a little better where the terrain's maybe a steeper gradient where you're controlling the speed you have with braking. Um, it gives you more range of motion and, and it, especially if there's a drop at a steep grade or something like that, that you want to get the bike on the ground, um, jumps that you need to squash the extra clearance helps. Um, what I think it comes down to is like, I don't think riders want to change back and forth depending on track and whatever they're kind of comfortable with. Like I'd say most of the world cups that we have in the season would be more suited to a mullet bike. Um, just yeah. Thinking about the, the grade of the tracks and the feel when you're riding it. So riders would probably get their bikes set up for the majority of the season. And I would guess that they don't want to change back and forth. It seems like, um, I've, I've tried to change things like that before that in theory, like on this track, riding a bigger bike or a different, this or that might be better, but the time that you have to adapt to it, like riding what you're comfortable with and what you just, your bike that you just get on it and it fits like a glove is a little bit of an advantage in itself compared to trying to adapt to a setup that in theory is better. So yeah. I would just say that most of the guys are comfortable in the mullet setup for most downhill tracks and they didn't want to change. Um, I also don't think there's a huge difference in it. Like I don't think that, that the 29er is going to roll over some of these holes or square edges so much better that it's going to give you a huge advantage. Um, I think it's, it's pretty minimal. It's one of those things almost like I said with the tires where it's like whatever makes you comfortable to push hard, that's going to be the good setup, whether it's faster or not. It's like, if you think it's faster and you're comfortable to ride as fast as you can on that setup, that's going to be the best thing for you. Yeah. Confidence is key, I guess. Yeah. So let's just talk a little bit about then the Saturday. So practice and qualies in the same day. And like you said, you put three runs in there. How did you spend that? time were you like sectioning bits of the new parts of the track were you doing full runs like how did you approach getting up to speed on those new bits um i definitely wasn't doing full runs i was stopping in some of those newer sections and looking at how it was developing and and then choosing a line and and riding that um they also changed the rock garden where we couldn't do the straight line anymore we had to do the s around and I didn't know they were going to change that till we got down there. So, um, that was like another thing that, that we had to pay attention to. So kind of stop there and look at, okay, with this pole move, where, where do we go now? Um, 
So there's a few sections like that where I just kind of wrote into them the first run and then looked at what lines were developing and, and went from there. Yeah. And let's talk a little bit about that, uh, that triple in one of the sections. How, how gnarly was that? Honestly, it didn't, I mean, I can't say I didn't jump it, so I, I can't really <laughs> okay. speak on it, but it didn't look really that bad. It was just the section before it was, had like a pretty gnarly root off camber thing in it and it was getting worse and changing and the rut was blowing out. So I think in the quality run on the Saturday, there wasn't as many people that jumped it because by the, if, they, if they had it in their mind, they were going to jump it. They messed up that, that off camber and then couldn't jump it. Um, there was definitely a few that did, but um, it was just one of those things that was just gnarly enough where it, <laughs> it's for sure possible to jump it, but you have to hit the section right before it good two minutes into your run, um, and time this thing just right to get it. So I think it was, um, I think it was like the perfect sort of gnarly feature for a world cup. Cause it wasn't like deathly dangerous, but it also pushed riders and, and it was probably second advantage if you jumped it. So, it was something that was like right there to separate people. So I think that sort of stuff is, is cool and it's good on world cup tracks and especially where it's not in like a, if you don't make it, you're going to die situation. Um, like you saw a bunch of people crash a few guys. Like I think Hugo Frick salon hurt his wrist on it. But other than that, like nobody got seriously hurt on it. So it was, uh, yeah, it was a good, interesting little change to the track. What? Yeah. How and how, so? How do you deal with that? Does it? Do you feel like you should be doing it? Like, does it bug you, or are you quite happy to go look at it, make your decision, and then that's that? I'd be lying if I said it didn't bother me when I don't do things like that. Um, I've been dealing with a, a neck injury this year. I crashed and broke my C six and C seven vertebrae earlier this spring, and um, had some nerve damage in my arm, which is. It, it's something I kind of played down. I didn't want it to be, um, define me this year, but, uh, I've, I've had a, a real big lack of strength in my left arm. And, um, it's something that's kind of been on the back of my mind in a situation like that. When I'm looking at this huge pool to a landing that guys are just tagging and getting over, um, deep into a run, I'm like, man, I, I don't know if, if, uh, right now is the situation for me to jump that, which is not a good mindset to be in really. But, um, I'm nevertheless glad, like I want to be here racing and I want to feel the speed. I don't want to go a year and without feeling the pace that these guys are running. So, um, normal situation, I should jump that for sure. And it definitely is saddening. I guess you could say to ride down to the pit and be like, yeah, I'm going to leave that one there. Um, like it's the mindset of a downhill racer. If, if jumping this section is going to make you one second faster, you have to do it. Like, why am I coming to this race? I'm going to leave like the amount of sacrifices or effort that I've put into getting here and doing this. This is a second advantage to jump this. You have to, you have to try it at least. Um, so I was a bit disappointed not to jump it. And I think a lot of guys kind of, felt the same way and maybe it pushes more people to jump it. Like you saw some crashes on it. Um, so it, guys that are feeling like that, will maybe take a like step outside their comfort zone to try to do it. And, 
um, I think it's good. I think it excels the sport and, and pushes things forward, like I said. But uh, it's definitely a mental thing. It doesn't make you feel good when people are jumping something and you're not. Yeah, uh, and that feeling cascades all the way down to my level. I know, I know exactly what that feels like when you see your friends gapping something and you you don't feel like you either want to take the risk or that you can do it. So, yeah, I, I wondered if that was how you guys feel. It sounds sounds pretty similar. But if you, but yeah. if, you, if you like know if you just make the decision not to, it's like sometimes that if you know it's a little bit out of your reach to do it that day, then it's just like you got to let it go. Because you can't, if thinking about it the whole run, like there's yeah. another like three minutes of track, like you gotta, you can focus on all those other places where you can go faster. So if it's truly out of your reach, like you just gotta let it go and, and focus on where you're going to make up the time. If you're thinking about that triple the whole way down the run, you're going to ride slowly to get there and make mistakes and then maybe get over it. And then it, you would have been faster just letting that thing off off the radar. So yeah, that's uh, a weird what one. What was that line that um, Loic took there coming into it in the finals? Yeah, that was incredible. I have no idea how he did that. He, it was higher, right? He came in higher, somehow stuck it, didn't pedal, and cleared that triple, right? Yeah. I Any idea, Nico? Don't recall. I I need to watch. I watched the race from the finish, so it's like sometimes a lot of exciting stuff's going on. It's hard to see. Every <laughs> but, um, yeah, there was like a rut that you could get into and jump out of. He Maybe he went down into the rut and then jumped high out of it. Um, the rut was kind of changing the whole time. There was just like a real gnarly route that you had to get across that camber before it. He just like so, skipped the whole thing. It was pretty crazy. That whole rut he just went high of. Yeah, that, so, was, that was possible too. So is it something to do with this magic carbon fiber box on his bike? Does anyone know what's in it? <laughs> nope. I have no idea what's in it, but I imagine it's more for the, as the French say, the blah, 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 than <laughs> it's actually doing something. <laughs> just to, just to mess with everyone's head that he's got a little trigger on the, uh, on the handlebar and a carbon fiber box covering something up. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, maybe it's something really cool. We'll we'll find out one day. Yeah, I was trying to watch on that pedal on the fire road coming off out of the rocks. I was trying to watch to see if his bike looked kind of any stiffer than anyone else's or whether there's some kind of like just remote lockout that's a bit easier to use maybe. I don't know. Did you spot anything, Elliot? I didn't even know that that was a thing actually. Okay. It's uh yeah. I spotted the box this week and then I think Pinkbike ran a like a bike check but yeah, no one, no one knows what's in it. Maybe one day we'll find out. But yeah, that line he took was incredible. He's the only person that that cleared that gap without any pedal strokes, which just looks insane. But yeah, fair play. Different, different planet. Um, I want to talk a bit about recovery, Nico. You, you, like you said, it's a tiring week and coming off the back of world champs as well do you do anything specific to kind of help your recovery obviously you've got a lot of cool downs and stuff like that on the on the spin bike and what are you doing to to keep yourself going through the week um i think the most important thing is just sleeping well like we make sure that we can get um optimal sleep every night and during this all these practices, I would come back and take a nap as soon as I got home from the track. So I'd sleep, you know, half an hour, an hour, 
um, before dinner, um, in the, in the afternoon. And, and then, yeah, just getting a great night's sleep every night was probably the best thing you could do. And then, um, yeah, I'd stretch every night, um, foam roller and stuff like that. Um, just little things to try to stay loose and, um, yeah, after each run spinning out, trying to let the, let your body flush out rather than just sitting there after being pumped up from a full run. So that was important as well. Um, and then eating well, getting, make sure like we have, uh, Todd's wife, Kathy cooks for us and she cooks us really good food. So, um, having, yeah, good food for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, uh, that's super helpful as well. So I, I wouldn't say there's like anything crazy out of the ordinary. Um, when we were in Leo gang, the hotel we had, had like a sauna and a cold plunge, which was pretty cool. Like I, I think that's definitely helpful in that situation. But at this time of year, when it's like cold outside, I'm not going to go like into the cold river. Like the, just be, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, maybe, maybe I'm too soft, but <laughs> um, it, it was good setup to do the, the hot colds when we could, but without the hot portion, I think it would be pretty hard to do this <laughs> cold in winter. Over Fair here. enough. Um, I spotted Aaron was using a Thyreo gym. There's some pictures of him on Instagram with that around his neck. Have you have you had a chance to play with one of those? Yeah, the, um, Todd, our team manager, got those for us, and it's supposed to help your body produce, I guess, le- less lactic acid. I don't know the science behind it, but it stimulates your thyroid somehow to to aid in recovery. Um, it's not like super noticeable, the benefit, mm-hmm. but it's, uh, one of those things that doesn't hurt, you know, like I've, you put on like, um, compression leg, leg things or something like that. It's like, it's only going to potentially help you. Maybe like mentally you feel like it's uh, giving you an advantage. So you feel better because of it. But, um, yeah, little things like that add up, but, um, yeah, I thought I thought really the main thing was just the big stuff like sleeping well, eating well, and stretching. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's talk about race two then. And uh, I, I guess coming into it, like how how are you feeling? Are you are you more tired physically or mentally? Was it was it hard to kind of get yourself in a in a race mindset and ready to go for that one? I'd say the toughest thing was the Saturday qualifying, like right after. Um, the race the day before that was the one that was hard for me to, I I didn't, I felt tired and I felt, um, a little bit of lack of motivation that day to, to get on it again and push again. Um, I kind of felt like I was like, all right, just get this thing through to the final and then race tomorrow. And, um, and then for Saturday, I felt really good. Actually. Um, the weather was nicer. It was warmer. It was like, this was a nicer day out. It was more inspiring that way. So, um, yeah, it was like we said, it was like Groundhog Day for sure. Like the amount of times we get, take the bike, ride the jump trail to the start. Like that, that was one thing that added a little bit to it too. Like we said, uh, the jump trail was like a three minute ride to the start. Like that was something on your hands, like riding <laughs> down. To, so, you know, over the course of the five days, how many times you did that? But, um, yeah, I'd say by race day, everybody was fired up and it was a, it was a world cup final again. So people were, uh, normal, all things normal for that. Yeah. A much drier, much tighter racing this time around. Yeah. Much less margin for error, I guess. 
yeah, I mean, you could see across the whole field. It was, it was, um, tight times from, from first all the way back to where the end of the field. So there wasn't much to separate people as always. And, um, it was, it was just a, it was a good race, just like it was pretty much at all the world cups last year. Yeah. How did your run go? Were you, were you happy with it? I wasn't super happy with it. Um, I, I knew it was going to be like that and I pushed, pushed pretty hard and, and just kind of like, even from the, before the first grass turn, you kind of went across the camber to get to it. I two wheel drifted there and, um, was just pushing the front end and, um, I wanted to be aggressive. I felt like that, like I had said the day before in qualifying, I rode a, uh, just kind of like went through the motion, so to speak, just get the bike into the final. And I really wanted to push on. I wasn't very happy with that. So I wanted to push on in the final and kind of just overrode the track a little bit. Um, a few ruts just like pushed out of them and not, not far between like, I would, I would have been stoked to be in the top 20. I think it was three seconds to there. So, um, I could obviously, it's not like I got down and was like, man, where, where are they going that path? It's like, I know, I know exactly where. Um, but I, yeah, I was just a little bit disappointed with my run, but nevertheless, like I said, glad to, glad to be here feeling the pace and, and, um, it all builds up towards next season and, you know, next season's not far away. So, uh, I think it's important to, to be here racing these. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. What about you, Elliot? What, uh, what stood out from the, from the racing for you on the, on the Sunday? Yeah, I thought that, um, yeah, like Loris's, Loris's run is pretty, pretty insane. Like to be able to do that back to back a day later was really amazing. And then, uh, Nina Hoffman's run as well was, was insane. It kind of reminded me of her run this last year at Leo gang where she was just like on fire. Um, yeah. And then she, uh, you know, it was kind of the same thing for her in Endora, where she's on fire and then, uh, had, had all those crashes and <laughs> there and then kind of got hurt in Leger. And so it's really good to see her back on pace. Like she was able to keep up with those top girls last year and, and to see her win the race was really cool. Um, that, she looks so is, strong on the bike. Totally, totally. Like she does have this, um, like a, a unique riding style. I feel like, um, like her elbows are really high, and her sh- like her kind of shoulders follow her elbows. Um, and and I think like maybe for a woman, like it gives her more control um, over the front end, which is which is really cool to see. Like, I don't think you see her, her front end get as wild as some of the other women. Miriam like had a couple like super wild moments, like near the triple and stuff like that. So yeah, I'm excited to see if she can, you know, take that into the last race. And, and she's like my favorite person who does well, you know, like she, when she wins or like does well, you're like, you love it. <laughs> she's like such a rock star. <laughs> fair play and uh, interesting to see tani she was very open about the fact that it was hard to find the pace and i guess that's that's how a lot of riders maybe are feeling like coming in with very very limited or no racing uh until last weekend Do, does it take a while to work out where the speed's at is that, is that yeah. fair nico or elliot sorry or uh, i mean nico would know better than i would but i would imagine i think 
if you were to think about a normal off season, um, you do kind of have an experience where people take some time off and then you get back up to speed. Um, but you don't know where you sit when, at the first race. And so now we just had like this huge break, and especially for Tani when, where she was injured and you're kind of just in no man's land. Like you're trying really hard, but it's really easy to fall into a rut when you're by yourself training, even if you have some people around you or like you're trying to push because there's nothing there to say either way, right? Like I can go out and like lift a five pound weight and be like, that's the most anyone's ever lifted before. And no one's going to tell me otherwise because no one's here kind of thing, you know? Um, And so it is, I think it's maybe why you see some, some shakeup where some riders were really enjoying that time off and we need the time off, um, come back stronger. Um, and for her, I know it did take a, take a while for her to come back from that injury. And, and she's really smart about it. Um, she's like pretty cautious. She's not gonna do anything that puts her outside of her comfort zone. You know, she's like, we'll just say like, yeah, I'm not ready. Like I'm not, I'm not down to go that fast yet. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's fair play. And Nico, I guess you alluded to it earlier. It's very different. I suppose riding fast at home versus riding at a world cup pace. Like it's hard to know. It's hard to simulate that anywhere else, I guess. Yeah. It's hard to simulate that and hard to simulate the condition of the track. And, um, I think a big thing this summer was that it was, it was unsure that we were even going to do these races. So it was not like a normal off season where you're, you're training, like there's never been a world cup canceled in the history ever before. So you know, the first race is at this day. I'm going to be ready on that day. And this summer, they were just getting canceled and canceled and canceled and delayed and pushed back. And it was at a point where it was like, well, are these ones going to happen? Like what? So I think, um, it was one of those things where you kind of had to be ready the whole time. But at the same time, like now you've been training since last, like a year ago now, like you can't just keep training and training and being ready for a race that may or may not happen. So, different people had a different approach to that this summer. Some people maybe are overtrained and now over it. Some people maybe were like, I'm not going to do anything and maybe not prepared enough. Some people are like, just did the right amount. We're, we're ready to go. And when it looked like worlds was going to happen, they were able to do the final touches to their training and be, be totally ready for this. So, um, yeah, mentally, I think there's a lot of different things that contribute to, people being ready for for this sort of situation this year yeah yeah okay well we we need to get you guys out of here pretty soon but um i guess looser in theory is the next race there's rumors about whether that will happen or not does anyone know if it's definitely taking place um from what we hear here it's uh as confirmed as things can be at the moment um i think uh yeah we're flying over there tomorrow so um maybe going to be there when it's canceled again. Like I was last <laughs> imagine, <laughs> but, um, no, I mean, it's, it, the organizers are doing things to make it happen. They, they're, they have a uh, point series now for the four races. So, I mean, as there's nothing pointing to it being canceled. So, um, yeah, it looks like it's, that's the next thing. And I think that's what everybody's thinking. Yeah, so a bit of time off or you kind of straight back to some level of maintenance. 
Um, well, it's, I mean, really we're going to walk the track on next Tuesday. So we only have a week off. Um, I'd mm-hmm. say this week going to be like, there's not a lot of training you're going to do. That's going to benefit you by next Tuesday. Yeah. So, um, yeah, just staying fresh. Um, maybe keeping, keeping the blood flowing, go, go on a, a spin or a ride and, um, hopefully get on the downhill bike, maybe one day somewhere in that area, maybe over the weekend just keep skills sharp just to do something. Um, maybe a few little maintenance things. Um, st- I, I don't really want to go to a public gym in Europe right now. So, yeah. uh, just stuff I can do around the hotel and, um, stay loose, stay active and recover and be ready for that race. Good stuff. Well, fingers crossed it goes ahead. Looking forward to seeing the last little bit of racing for 2020 and then hopefully just getting 2020 over and done with, to be fair. Yeah, I think it's good we're doing it. I mean, it would it, like people have their own opinion about it. Especially, it's it's this week was tough for the riders. Like it was a lot of extra effort. Um, we we raced a lot. There was just between not just the double header but worlds straight into that. Like it, it was a lot of work in a short amount of time. But I think it's important this year to to do something. And you know, a lot of people, fans watching it. Um, on the UCI and Red Bull and, and their sponsors end of things, people put a lot into it. And then for the teams, our sponsors, everybody, there's a lot of effort put into racing. So um, I think it's important that we're doing it. And it's, I'm just glad that we could, we could make it happen this weekend. Yeah. As a fan, it's made a huge difference. It's been so good to have it back. And then it was amazing to hear the chainsaws and a few people going wild on, on track side that <laughs> snuck into the venue at the weekend. Like it was just, it was just really nice to hear that. It was weird racing some of the like world champs or the first race here on the Friday. It was like completely silent. It, it was, it was yeah, definitely weird racing. Strange. <laughs> For sure. Um, but before I go, I just wanted to say a huge shout out to Loris. Um, I talk to Loris almost every weekend at the race when I see him. He's a good, good buddy. And, um, it's been his dream for so long to do something like this. And he's had the pace and it takes so many things going right for it to click and, and happen like that. And he does, he deserves it more than anybody. So, um, that's super awesome. And I, I think he's, he's just the full package of a rider. And I think that he's going to continue to to do really well he's still pretty young and he's got a lot of a lot of racing ahead of him so um just stoked for loris to to do that and and see where it takes him from here definitely yeah he looks like a massive threat after that i mean varying conditions super challenging week on the pace the whole way through you wouldn't you wouldn't bet bet on him to do uh anything other than very well at lisa for sure yeah Cool. Well, it's been really interesting catching up. Thanks for your time. Have a good uh, a good trip over to Portugal. And um, yeah, hopefully we get to see a little bit more racing before the end of the season next weekend. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Thank you, guys. Awesome. Cheers. Yeah. Sounds good. See ya. All right, that's it for this episode with Elliot and Nico. I hope you enjoyed listening. A big thanks to Crank Brothers and Hunt Bike Wheels for supporting this episode of the podcast. If you want a chance to win your choice of Crank Brothers clipping pedals and an M20 multi-tool to install them with, just head to downtimepodcast.com forward slash Crank Brothers now. That'll take you to the Crank Brothers entry form. You've got until the end of October to enter.
If you're after some new wheels, then as a downtime listener, Hunt Bike Wheels are kindly offering a free Hunt accessory pack worth over £40 with each order until the 15th of November. All you need to do is to use the code DOWNTIME, all lowercase, over at huntbikewheels.com. All the links are in the show notes for this episode over on downtimepodcast.com. If you want to represent the show, then you can grab yourself a t-shirt, a hoodie or a sweatshirt by heading to downtimepodcast.com forward slash shop. Please keep on telling your riding friends about the podcast. Keep sharing the episodes on your social media and just generally being awesome and supporting what I'm doing. It means a lot and it is the reason we're still going. If you've got a couple of minutes to leave a review, then that's also much appreciated. Okay, we've got another awesome episode coming up soon. But until then, get out and ride. <laughs>